Philippians chapter 1, 8 through 11. Let me read this and then we'll sit down. For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affections of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. Father, it is our intention to speak on how we receive joy from the gospel this morning. But we know that that joy is given to us. It is a gift from you through a faith that's given to us to believe the gospel. So this morning, I pray that you would help us strengthen our understanding of the gospel and thus receive the gift of joy in a greater and greater way. Lord, may we not, may we not go out of here less joyful, Lord, than when we came in. But may we have more joy because of what you've accomplished for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You wonder why churches don't get more joyful. Why there is more struggles going on in churches around the country. Uh, A great study came out this week called The State of Theology. It was put out by two ministries, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway. It was a very in-depth uh, study. They, they used 3,000 people from every slice of life across the country, and they began to interview them with quite a few questions. In fact, a uh, timely interview that would have take, taken it to do that. The results were somewhat troubling. And I want to just read, I'm going to use this throughout time a little more as we go on through the book of Philippians, but I wanted to point out just some of the things, just a small portion that came from this survey. And in it, in it there, there's a huge part of this that are people who say they are in an evangelical church, they attended at least once a month. So, so there are people that are hearing the gospel, it's being preached, but these are some of the results that they're finding. Here's the first one. Only 16% of people in America agree with the doctrine of the Bible that people do not have the ability to turn to God on their own, on their own initiative. They do not, there are only 16% of Americans, when surveyed, some are Christians, some are not, so you can understand this, only 16% realize that we're dead in our sins. So, so there's, there's work to do to help people understand how, how people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of uh, acknowledging depravity, the majority of Americans believe that the good in people can outweigh the bad. 67% agreed that the good in people outweigh the bad, and and thus God will accept them. Boy, that's, that's deceptive, isn't it? If you believe that you have goodness within you, and God will see that goodness... And, and accept you as child, that's, that's a damning fact, isn't it? It goes on, four out of ten agree that God loves me because of the good that I have done. 
We've got to think through some of this. We've got to think biblically, right? All have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not run. I mean, we know what the Bible says, right? But four out of ten believe that God loves them because of the good that they have done. The majority of Americans, 53% of them, agree with the doctrine that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. That is good news. 53% 53 of the nation believes that the only way you can be saved is through Jesus alone. I think that's very good. But 45% of them say that there are many ways to get to heaven. And three out of ten people believe that there is a second chance to get to heaven after you die. Now, I hope your mind is just running and you're thinking of scriptures that deny these truths. Many Americans appear to have confidence in their own efforts for salvation rather than God's grace. This is, this is seen among 71% of Americans who agree an individual must contribute to his own efforts for personal salvation. The hymn writer said, no, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's biblical, right? 64% of Americans agree a person obtains peace with God by first taking the initiative to seek God and then God seeks them with grace. So God is waiting on man to come to him and he is, his hands are tied until man seeks him out. Something to think about here. Let's get under the scriptures. 48% of the nation believes that the Bible alone is the written word of God. That is great news. 48% believe that the Bible that are laying on your lap or your pad that you're looking at the scriptures in, whatever that is, the word of God, they believe that God wrote those. 43% agree that the Bible is 100% accurate in all that it teaches. I thought that was good news. But the study went on. 41%, and the numbers don't quite match because people change, answer one question and then change their mind on the next question. 41% agree that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths but are not literally true. And then the last one, there's much more to this study. Uh, 45% agree the Bible was written for each person to interpret as they choose. So we have a problem. And, and, and as, I'm, as I'm working on this message and thinking about our joy-giving gospel, you begin to realize why so many people don't have joy. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the word of God that it was given to us as a love letter from God about his son given to us in 100% accuracy so that we can know him. And not only know him, and I want you to get this because this is a point today completely, that the word of God contains within it the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes you 100% blameless to stand in his presence for eternity. Do I need to say that again? The Bible contains within it the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that is able to make you stand blameless in front of the almighty God and Savior for eternity. That produces joy. Got to get our minds around that. And that's what this text is about. It's full of these things. It's full of this beautiful joy of the gospel. Look at, look at your notes and your Bible together and let me give you a couple thoughts here this morning. 
the joy of gospel love. Paul is uh, full of affection for those in Christ. Notice verse 8, he says this, For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. With all the affections of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I long for you. Notice in verse 7, go back just, we looked at this last week. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. This is a tremendous, loving letter. Who speaks this way? (laughs) Christians speak this way. They speak this way together. And and what Paul is doing here is he says, it's right for me to have these heartfelt emotions about you because we partner together in the gospel of grace. We looked at that last week. Remember, he said, I stood in defense. And in essence, he said, you stood with me because you're partakers of grace. You're partakers of the gospel. And when you're a partaker of the gospel, whether that's in your giving, your attending, your, your sending out of somebody to share the gospel, you, you go to your neighbor, your coworker, sharing the gospel with somebody brings great joy to those who share the gospel. Let me give you an illustration, because I think I understand a little bit what Paul's talking about. Through the years, I received lots of very encouraging letters, and many of them from you. Last week, I received a letter from some dear friends that supported our ministry for many, many years as we planted churches in the North State. They had lived in the Bay Area here, and they retired, and they moved to the North State. And they wrote a beautiful letter to us, and in the letter they said, Scott and Gina, we just want to tell you how we encouraged by your ministry. I'm thinking, well, we haven't seen them in a long time. Said, we've moved to this town, they told me where they had moved to, And by God's grace, we ran into a whole bunch of people that were in your ministry. And it was so sweet because she said, as she wrote the letter to us, she said, your fruits of your ministry, of your gospel ministry, are still growing here. Thank you for what you did. Hey, the letter was wonderful. But that made my heart rejoice. Because you saw that the gospel is still going. That's what made me encouraged. It wasn't the letter and, oh, great, I got a nice letter from somebody. Very thankful for that. But you come away and you go, wow, these people sent money to us so we could go up there and plant a church, share the gospel. People got saved. Now they moved up there. Now they're in church with the people that they gave money so the gospel would be preached, and they're in fellowship with them. Does that not make you excited? I just, I wept as I read it. I said, Lord, how great it is to participate in the gospel. Remember when Nilo Sanchez was here from the Philippines. He told a story about a man who was with Abu Sayyaf, which is the Muslim tribe that is the the birth of Al-Qaeda on Mindanao, where we go and we are partnering that ministry down there. A man got saved out of Abu, Abu Sayyaf. A man got saved out of the state police. They met each other at one of their pastor's conference because they're now been saved and in church and in part of leadership now. Met each other, started having a conversation about some of the battles they went, went through. Realized that they shot at each other in several wars. And yet they stood at the same conference, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Nilo gave tremendous praise to what the gospel does. I mean, I can't get my mind around that. They, they were trying to kill each other at one time. They both get saved, and now God's got them in the part of the same church. 
That's why Nila was so excited. Because the joy of gospel love just motivates you. And in fact, he says, look, for God is my witness in verse 8. He, this is the proper use of God's name used. God knows that I'm speaking about this. You're in my heart and I've seen the gospel move within you. This is a gospel-driven, joyful love for these brothers and sisters in the church of Philippi here. He loves them. And he doesn't love them just because they're lovable. You know, some people are more lovable than others. I don't know if you figured that out. Right? You got certain aunts and uncles that are going to come to Thanksgiving that you pray a lot, that God will just give you a lot of grace. And then you have others that are just so easy, right? <laughs> you know, just easy to be with. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the diversity of the church that loves the gospel, and they're easy to love because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to build here. This is what we're trying to do. Establish a loving relationship through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 real quick. I want to drive this point home just a little further. Chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, having been justified, what does that mean? Somebody just say, how do we, how, what do we say about justified? What does it mean to be declared righteous? Thank you, DTP, one and two people. All right? Declared righteous, right? God has justified you by faith. We learned last week that he even grants you that faith. We have peace. We're no longer at war with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible verse right there that should give you lots of gospel joy. You've been declared righteous. You're at peace with God, all done through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we stand in grace now. You don't stand in law, you don't stand in works, you stand in grace. And we exalt and hope the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, right? Even in times of trouble, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance brings around proven character, proven character hope. So God's at work, right? He's transforming us into his son. Through these trials and temptations and struggles we go through as we hang on to verse 1, the gospel. Look at verse 5. And hope doesn't disappoint. Now look at this little phrase here. Because the love of God has been poured out. Flooded is the word. Out in, within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Isn't that amazing? See, you love because you have been greatly loved. John says you didn't love the Lord first. You love him because he loves you first. See, he poured that love into your heart. Can you see that imagery? Your love did not, your heart was not receptive to the love of God, despite what the, um, the survey said. In fact, the Bible says that our hearts were hearts of stone. You ever try to clear up with a stone? You know, you think of Jacob sleeping on that rock. Why he didn't get a pillow, I don't know, but God had a plan for that. <laughs> You don't want a heart of stone. And that's what you have before you're saved. Your heart is a heart of stone. It does it not have the ability to love. It does not have the ability to pump truth. 
and to bring the warm understanding of who the Lord Jesus is. And the Bible says that God takes that heart of stone out of us and he gives us a heart of flesh. And he does that by pouring the love of God into him. Flooding it is the word here. Flooding it with with the work of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. When did he do all this? We've got to take on that survey a little bit, right? For while we were still helpless, what the survey said, most people think that they have to do something in order to gain something. The Bible says while we were still helpless, we had nothing to offer to our Lord. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Gives an example for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone may throw themselves on a grenade. Right? That's happened. But they couldn't save that person eternally. Think about that. We have great examples within um, history of people who have jumped in front of presidents and taken bullets. Right? We have men who have thrown themselves on top of grenades or IEDs and trying to protect others. But never could that person, though he died to protect that other person, could he save his soul from hell. But notice the next verse. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. How? In that while we were yet sinners, still hard-hearted, still not loving God, still not bringing anything to him, Christ died for us. Boy, that's the gospel, isn't it? While we were still in a condition that could never be in the presence of God, he died for us. Does that give you joy? Somebody say yes to me. Because I think that's the best news that you and I could ever hear day after day that somebody died for me in order to give me eternal life. Despite my condition of where I was. Look at verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by the blood, by his blood, that's the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved through, from the wrath of God through him. There's another verse of joy. I will never, now think about this, never see the wrath of God. Do you want to see the wrath of God? Did you catch part of that when I read in Habakkuk this morning? You never want to see the wrath of God. And it has been washed away. You are at peace, verse 1 said. God's not angry with you this morning. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is not angry with you. He is not mad at you. He is not condemning you. He is seeing you in his son, perfectly forgiven. You're at peace with him. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you've held off and said, I'm one of those people that believe I'm good, then God will accept it. Friend, you will see the wrath of God. And he will not be your savior. He will be your judge at the end of time. But the good news is, look, verse 10, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. And this just blows that whole report out, right? The Bible says we were enemies with God. While we were enemies, he reconciled us to God through his son's death. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Oh, that's great news, isn't that? Enemies, friends. We sing a song. What is that song, Ron? Um, it's a Sovereign Grace song. Once his enemies, now seated at the table. 
Now family and friends, isn't it? It's an amazing transformation. That's what reconciliation, that word reconciliation means. He changes our position. You were dead. You were an enemy of God. And now he says, you're no longer an enemy. In fact, sit at my table. Oh, that's joy. Isn't that? It's joy. Yeah, okay, we're waking up. Come on. Look at... Go back to our text. Philippians chapter 1. Moving on to verse 9, the joy of the gospel, loving knowledge and discernment. There's joy within the gospel and knowing loving knowledge and loving discernment. Look what he says in verse 9 here. And this I pray that your love may abound still kind of a little bit. No, no. Still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, speaking of prayers and scriptures, here's the word for prayer, the normal word, prosukamai is what the word is here. So he is praying. This is my prayer life. Earlier he talked about petitioning for them. Here he's saying, this is my prayer life that your love may abound still more and more. You want to have joy? Love God. Love the Lord Jesus. Love the gospel. Oh, you're not going to have it. You try to love the things of this world, angry with God because he did something you didn't like, or you didn't think he should have, or he hasn't given you the house on the hill that you want, or whatever it is, you know, you won't experience joy. You may be saved, but you'll miss out the joy that God has for you. And Paul's saying, look, I'm praying, I'm praying that your love will not just get to a point because now I've been saved for four or five years and I've been baptized and now I'm just a a Christian in the rut with the others. Kind of getting a little close, huh? No, he wants you to go more and more. More and more. And the people who are going more and more, you know them. They're joyful. They're joyful people. They got excitement about them. See, Paul's prayers are filled with deep longings for, his, for this church in Philippi to grow spiritually, to grow in this loving knowledge, this loving discernment. And the most important thing the leadership of this church does is they pray for you and they help you grow in love and grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's last words that are inspired Now grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They crucify him upside down sometime after those last inspired words. Written to the church. So true knowledge and discernment always comes from the gospel. People say, well, Scott, I just want to know the doctrines. I want to study the creeds. You won't won't get your mind around any of that stuff. Because it's all encapsulated in the gospel. In the joy of knowing that Jesus, while I was yet a sinner, died for me. And released me from my sins. So love the gospel. Love, loving the gospel gives you a hunger for truth. That's what it does. It gives you a hunger to know, the, know your God in heaven. To understand what Habakkuk was talking about. It gives you a love for the Lord Jesus. It gives you a love for the word of God. 
This is a common exhortation of Paul. Look with me just over one book. Go to Ephesians chapter one real quickly with me. Verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, that's what the gospel does, You have faith in Jesus Christ and you love one another. Verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you. That's what he's doing. While making mention of of you in my prayer signs, very similar to to what he wrote to the, the folks in Philippi. Verse 17, here we go. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And you know, the litmus test of all of this is someone comes up to you and say, why are you so joyful? What are you going to tell them? Do you know your Bible? Do you know how to communicate what makes you joyful? See, Paul prays this. Look at chapter 3 with me of Ephesians. Turn over a page there, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Here's more prayers from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to, the strength, to, to be strengthened with power through his, inner, through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, now look at this, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Oh, brothers, Paul is saying... Listen, I'm praying that you grow. The most deadly thing for a believer is that they don't grow in Christ. I thought about it this week and I wrote nine things down. I'm going to give them very quickly here. If you're not writing any notes down, write these nine down. Nine ways to build a joyful knowledge and discernment. Nine things, just on this point, very quickly. Number one, and I've said it already this morning, joyfully preach the gospel to yourself every day. Write that down. I am going to joyfully preach the gospel to myself every day. In our text, I think that's what he's speaking of in verse um, 10 when he says that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to make you sincere and blameless. His excellence is the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And, and those who commute in this church, which a lot of you do, it's a great time to preach the gospel to yourself. Lord, I believe that I was a wretched sinner set apart from you from birth. I was born in this world in depravity. I had nothing good to offer you. But Lord, I also believe that you sent your son, knowing that I was helpless. You sent your son, and he came, and he died a death on my behalf, and you accepted his death, and you accepted his blood, and you accepted his payment for my sins, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and you received that on my behalf. And Lord, I know you'll help me today live for you. It's preaching the gospel to yourself. Sin? Christ, salvation, appeasing the Father. 
Preach the gospel to yourself every day. This is how you grow in your knowledge and discernment. You're going to want to know more when you pray that daily. Second, with the gospel on your mind, ask God to reveal sin in your life. Lord, where are there areas in my life that I am taking for granted that don't honor you? David himself said, keep me from my presumptuous sins and also keep me from my hidden faults. So ask God with the gospel in mind, Lord, because you saved me, will you help me see things that don't please you in my life? Number two. Excuse me, three. Thank you. Somebody's actually taking notes. (laughs) Devote yourself daily to the word. What does that look like? Well, it should at least, out of a sermon like this, you should come away with a passage of scripture somewhere that we've looked at today that you said, I'm going to devote myself to that text this week. I'm going to read it every day this week. Or maybe, like some of us, we read through the Bible every year. We just love reading through the Bible. But some way, you are going to devote yourself to the word of God so you have God's word versus man's word. Because man's word's in your head already right now. In fact, you are fighting about all the things that are going through your mind. You probably looked around and said, there's a lot of people at home watching a 49er game. <laughs> you might be. Or, or, or you might be thinking, I got all this list of stuff to go on tomorrow. See, that's man's words in you. And you fight that by saying, God, I want your words. I want to know you. Four, learn to pray continuously. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Well, what does that look like? I actually have a job. I need to perform and I need to go. How does that look? How does that work? How do you pray without ceasing? It is the idea of being in constant communion with the Lord, just thinking about what he thinks. And these are all tied together because if you don't preach the gospel to yourself and don't vote yourself to the word of God every day, it's going to be hard to think the way God thinks. So as you wrestle through things that come into your life, you are talking with the Lord. Lord, what, show me how, through your word, how you want me to handle the situation. Moms that are home with little ones and, and the struggle that goes on there. Um, taking time and speaking with the Lord. God, help me. Give me the patience that you have with me. Just lots of those. Lord, there are people in our job that are difficult, but I know I was difficult. Will you give me patience, Lord? It's that constant communion with the Lord. Talk with him. Don't tell him stuff. Don't don't command of him always, right? God, I want you to do this. And and when you're done with that, get on this. And then when you're done with that, I'll take that. I don't think that's what the verse is talking about. Lord... I need help here. Lord, thank you for the little things. Thank you for getting me from point A to point B. Five, place yourself under the preached word at every possible time. Put yourself under the preached or taught word every possible time you can. That's why we offer midweek stuff, home group stuff, community group. Get involved with those things. Put yourself under the word of God every time. People say, well, where where do you see where Christians grow the most is when they take every opportunity afforded to them to know their God and Savior. I watch them grow. And and you're going to have to wrestle with that. And you're going to have to say, how do I do that, Lord? Because is is I'm here on Sundays and, and, and I'm in this and that. Just... Look for opportunities to put yourself under the preached 
word of God. Six, memorize scripture. Take one verse that you've heard today. Maybe back up and take verse six, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Take one verse and begin to try to memorize it. For years, I, I had business cards in my pocket, and I just wrote on the back of those cards a verse. And all day long, pull it out, look at it. When I was driving, um, doing church plants, I drove a lot, I put them on my dash. And just want to look at it. I just want to look at it. And I didn't ever just go, I didn't try to ever memorize it. But after thinking about that verse, I have hundreds and hundreds of verses that I know by memory because I just meditated on them as I drove, as I cowboyed, how, on the back of a horse a lot of times, just thinking about that verse. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work. I mean, it's just, you just think about it, and it starts to resonate. So memorize scripture. Seven, use scripture in daily conversation. Let me give you an example. It happened just the other night. We were out to dinner with some friends, and there was a, a couple that goes to church here with us, and then there was another couple that doesn't. And it was something we'd planned for a while and got together with this other family. And, and um, a conversation was going. It was really fun, good conversation going on. But I was watching this other guy who does attend the church. He was looking for an opportunity to talk about the Bible to this person. And I was watching it. I'm sitting over there. And of course, I'm wanting that opportunity too. But I got a guy here that I want to see him do it. And, and you could just see him. The conversation was turning toward, towards evilness of man. And is man getting worse and all of those things? And quickly, he started going to scriptures. And I kind of sat back and thought, go get him, brother. See, see, look to bring God's word into conversations. I learned it from an old cowboy one day who was a Christian who was at our church. Um, I was riding with him when I was young, and he, he would be riding with somebody else, and in their conversation, he'd go, and he'd always say this over and over. He goes, hey, you know the Bible says? And another conversation would come a little while. He goes, hey, you know the Bible says? And pretty soon, everybody going, what's the Bible? Because lots of people in the world don't know what the Bible is. And then he'd go, oh, you know what the Bible is? Can I give you one? It's God's word. The largest number one selling book ever and always is. You should have one. And it tells you how you can have eternal life. And there you go, share the gospel. So look for opportunities to say, hey, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says. Oh, you'll get inroads into people's life. Be ready to make a defense of yourself, of the count of the hope that is within you, First Peter says. Eight, let the gospel drive your growth and your service. Let the gospel drive your growth and your service. Today, again, for the 800th time, we ask for help in nursery. <laughs> because we do need help. We have tons of little ones in this church. And you can let Jeff twist your arm. All right. Or you can say, Lord, you have exposed the Lord Jesus Christ to my life. And I want you to expose it to some young mom or some young family that comes in this church, and I'm willing to go get involved once a month. Or we have a sign up in the back for service and uh, just to help, or, and there's people who need rides, and there's different things that go on that the deacons are trying to get help with. And you can do it because Scott said, go do this, and I actually put it in a sermon. It's not in my notes, but I'm saying it. Or you can say this. God, I am so good at serving myself. I really, really want to serve you. I want to start with small things and how I, can, how I can stand up for you and go do something out of my comfort zone for your glory. But, but don't do it because you feel like you have to. I, I, 
doing things out of have to doesn't work, does it? Doing things because you get to does. Let the gospel drive your growth and service. And then the last thing, and this is really important and kind of helps in all these areas, is ask the Spirit for assistance in all these things. Number one, preach the gospel to yourself. You will have to say, Spirit of God, will you prick my heart in the mornings to preach the gospel to myself? Because in the mornings, I'm getting up, and by the time I'm conscious, I'm already thinking of the list of things I have to do today. So I forget to preach the gospel to myself. So Spirit of God, will you prick my heart in the morning to remember the gospel? You will need the Spirit of God for your assistance. Remember, it's God God in spirit who indwells you at salvation, ready to help you. He is the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, the guide. Ask him to help you. Ask him to help you with these things. Third, th- third point. The joy and blamelessness and the righteousness of Christ. The joy of blamelessness and the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse 10 with me. So that you may approve, discern is the word here, The things that are excellent, that's the gospel, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. We'll stop right there. Literally, this is my, I wrote my writing down from reading in the Greek. Determine the things of truth that matter. The gospel. In order to be blameless and pure when Jesus shows up. See, he's saying, I want you to grow more and more in your discernment and knowledge, real knowledge and real discernment, so that you approve the gospel, you understand the gospel, and the result, this word in order, or maybe your Bible says so that, it's what's called a henna clause, the result of this is that you will stand sincere and blameless before Jesus Christ. That's an astounding thought. And there's nothing more truthful and more important to the believer than the gospel and the reality that the Christ, the gospel alone, will present you blameless before your Savior. I want you to think about this for just a moment. You'll walk into heaven someday if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself will introduce you to his Father. Father, this is your child, Scott Manaz. I died for his sins. He will say, Scott, come in. I have seen you blameless from that day, and I will see you blameless for all of eternity because my son died for you. That's amazing. It's amazing because I know myself. I know how unblameless I feel at times as a Christian. God thoroughly thoroughly cleanses your sins for all of eternity by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is amazing. And it never gets old. And if you're tired of hearing that, you might need to switch church. Because I'm going to preach that till they put me in a grave. Because it's the greatest news in the world that Scott who was an enemy of God can stand in the presence of the Almighty Father blameless for all eternity. That gets me a little excited. And I can prove it. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. He says this all through the scriptures. Yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh, fleshly body through death in order to present you before him, that's God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Oh my goodness. That's what that verse says. Father, 
Here's your child, Scott. I am presenting him before you due to my work on the cross, my finished work on the cross. He is holy and he is blameless and he is beyond reproach. And the father says, welcome in. Come sup with me for eternity. That's you. That's you. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if your faith is in him, that's you. Listen to Jude. I love this verse. You may want to memorize this verse. Jude one twenty four Closes the book out this way. Listen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that's good news, and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, blameless and with great joy. James 24, there's only one chapter. I mean, Jude 24, there's only one chapter in Jude. 124. Did you hear that? He's able to make you stand in the presence of his glory. Shekinah type glory. People where people fall dead before his glory. You can stand blameless with great joy. See, we've got to get excited about this stuff. We're going to be happy at heaven, I promise. It's the most joyful truth you can ever do. All right. Last point. And you get to preach it. Worship team, make your way up here. Look at the last point. The joy of the praise and glory of Christ comes right, I took it right out of the end of verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. So we stand and we're filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Jesus Christ. That's justification. That's a doctrine of justification. He declares us righteous through Jesus Christ. And we do this to the glory and praise of God. So the result of our God, we have been given a blameless blamelessness to us, and we now wear the robes, the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. Now, you guys get to preach the last point. And I'm gonna, we're going to put this up as... Michael, can we get this song up? Um, this is the song Ron's going to lead you in. And the reason why you guys get to preach the last point is because you get to, you get to do this, the talking. I'm going to sit down there and preach with you, okay? But I want you to see what we're going to sing first. Ron has picked a song that I love dearly called Glorious Christ. Are we up? Okay, here's the first verse. Speaking of Jesus here now, the radiance of the Father. That's Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3, that he is the exact representation. He is the radiance of the Father. That's his glory. Before the dawn of time, he's always had this glory. You spoke and all creation came. Whoa, Christ is creator. The molecules and planets reveal your great design and everyone was made so we could see. See him. That's what creation's about. Then it goes under the chorus, you are the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delights. That's joy. That's what's supposed to be coming from this passage, right? That's joy. Your power is unequal. Whoa, wait a minute. That's equal with God. One of the things I saw in the survey is most Americans don't believe that Jesus is God. But here, we're going to sing this truth comes right from Scripture, so your power is unequaled. You share that with the Father. Your love beyond all heights. You can't, you can't cap it. No greater sacrifice. Here's how he displayed his love than when you laid down your life. We join with the songs of angels. Verse 2. Now listen to this one. Are we there? Verse 2. There we go. You left the air of heaven. Who writes this stuff? I wish I could say that. That is a phenomenal thought. 
Jesus stepped out of heaven. Hebrews chapter 10. He stepped out of heaven. The body you've prepared for me. I'm going to go down and do it, Father. He steps out of heaven. He leaves the air of heaven. Look at this. The greatest, uh, uh, the, and to breathe the dust of earth. Well, there's a change in scenery. Oh my goodness, he did that for us? And dwell among the outcast and the poor. Remember, enemies of, enemies of God. We have nothing to offer him. You came to be forsaken and died to take, whose curse? Ours. You died to take our curse. So we, so, so you could be our joy forevermore. The bridge here, I love this bridge. You're seated now in heaven, enthroned at God's right hand. You shattered death and freed us from our fears. And though we cannot see you, you're coming back and all will be made right when you appear. All right, you guys preach the last point. Here we go, Ron. 